Good morning, church. A blessing to be with you one more time. Sorry it's not in person, but I'm so thankful for the opportunity that Pastor Joel has given me to share with you this morning. And I pray that the Lord, what the Lord's put in my heart will be a blessing to you. I'm going to start reading a portion of scripture. I was saying to Pastor Joel when I got here this morning, that this is the longest portion of scripture I've ever read to, in, in, a, in a sermon. And yet, as I prayed about it, I couldn't figure out what to cut out, and I couldn't. So I'm going to read, but it's God's word. So his words are far better than even mine. I'm reading out of 1 Peter, and I'm going to start at the first chapter, the 13th verse, and I'm going to read right through to the second chapter, the 12th verse. And you may say, you know, how come you're going from one chapter to another? We've got to remember, when they, the writers wrote these books, they didn't have chapters and verses and so on. It was just a continuous writing. And sometimes, although I'm very thankful for chapters and verses, it's much easier for us to find things. It um, doesn't necessarily mean it, it ends at the beginning of a chapter, it's a new theme. So starting in verse 13, it says, Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lusts as in your ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless con conduct received by traditions of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot." He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withers, its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now, this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Therefore, Laying aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envying and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, coming to him as a living stone rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. That's us. You also, as living stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scriptures. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious. And he who believes on him shall by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak evil against you, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Long portion of scripture, but there is so much truth in there. I know that Pastor Joel could probably spend a month or two just preaching on this portion, but I'm going to summarize and try to lay a few thoughts to you that the Lord has really pressed on my heart. You know, in reading, I, I'm just so enjoying reading the word of God and Recently, I've read through um, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and I have been amazed at how many times Peter quoted from those books in writing the, the, this, this, uh, his messages to the church, to the uh, Hebrew people that were dispersed. These were people who were dispersed by, by authorities and they were scared, running for their lives, and Peter's trying to encourage them. You know, just as a point of interest, the Old Testament, the, I'm just amazed, as I said, how much of, of, of the Old Testament the writers use, Paul and Peter, in, in sharing what they wanted to share with the people. Jesus quoted 78 times from the Old Testament. That's what's recorded. He may have even done more. But 78 times, the most popular books he recorded from were the Psalms, then Deuteronomy, Isaiah, and Exodus. But I've heard scholars say he, there's 27 different books that Jesus had quoted from in his earthly ministry here with us. And actually the apostles on 209 occasions between the book of Acts and the epistles that were written referred back, quoted the Old Testament. It's just amazing how much good stuff there is in there. And this message, even though I'm preaching New Testament, came out of my study and my devotional time on the Old Testament I want, so I just want to say, if there's any doubt in any of your hearts about what you may have done in the past that could concern you about whether God loves you or whether you are very important to him, I want to encourage you to open your heart and hear, again, some of the things that I just read that I shared that Peter says. Verse 9 in particular, the second chapter, Peter says, you are a chosen generation. You are that Greek word chosen is the word eklektos, which really means you are selected. And the Greek word has the inference in it that you are someone special. You are his favorite. He chose you. In John 15, 6, Jesus says, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. In Psalm 65 and verse 4, the psalmist writes, blessed is the man whom God chooses. And then in Ephesians 1, 4, Paul writing to the Ephesian church says, just as you were chosen in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame in love. You know, Jesus is saying to you, you are his favorite. You are chosen. And I often thought many of you may have played sports and some of us are better at sports than others. And, you know, back then I remember as a young boy growing up, there would be You'd choose teams. It'd be two captains and you'd choose teams. And you always hoped you weren't the last to be chosen because you kind of felt I was chosen, but I wasn't really wanted. 
But Jesus is saying to you, Peter is saying to you, that in Jesus' eyes, you are his favorite. You'd be the one he would choose first. Every one of us he chooses first because he loves you. So powerful. And then the Greek word, it says a chosen generation. The generation is a word genos, which means offspring. In 1 Peter 1.23, we have been born again into God's family. We are his offspring. That is such a wonderful thought to think that you are his favorite child. You're his offspring and you're his favorite child. You are. Then the next thing Peter says is we are a royal priesthood. That word royal is the word basilios, the Greek word meaning kingly. In Revelation 1, 6 and 5, 10, the Bible tells us we have become kings and priests unto God. We are part of the... God's family, we belong to King Jesus. We are his ambassadors, we're told here on earth. Part of the ambassadors of Jesus. The next scripture says, Peter writing, you are a holy nation. The word holy is the word hagios, which means sacred or pure or blameless. That, to be honest, may seem a stretch to some of us. We look at our lives, we wonder, but then we think Jesus says to us, We are holy. God told the children of Israel in the book of Leviticus that they are to be holy as he is holy. In fact, in the book of Leviticus, 79 times the word holy is used in that book. And what's amazing to me, in the Old Testament Hebrew and the New Testament Greek, anytime that word referring to God's people, holy is used, and it talks about God being holy, it's the exact same Hebrew word used in the Old Testament and the exact same Greek word used in the New Testament. So what God is saying to you, as I am holy, you too are holy. We're not holy because of of the way we live. We're holy because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Jesus made us become holy by his sacrificial death on the cross. And every one of us who choose to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, who have surrendered our lives to him, who are born again of the Spirit of God, when God looks at us, he sees us through the blood of Jesus and he sees us as a holy people. Just so powerful. We have been called to be holy We have everything from God pertaining to life and godliness. His spirit rests in us, lives in us. And that word nation is the word ethnos, from which we get our the English word ethnicity. We are basically what that is saying is that we get to become God. It's referring to us as a people. We become like a a people who have the ethnos of, of the Lord. Just as Israel was a holy nation separated from the heathen nations, consecrated to God. We as believers, as born-again Christians, under the rulership of Jesus, are separated to his service and dedicated to him. And then the last one, his own special people. I, I do my personal Bible reading out of the King James. It says you're a peculiar people. We are a different people. There's something about us. But that word special literally means we who are born again are God's special treasured possession. In the authorized version, it translates, you are my jewels. Just so powerful. You know, as believers, I think 
we somehow, as hard as it might be, could probably wrap our head around the fact that God loves us and he's chosen us and we are his favorites. We could probably understand and maybe accept that we've been adopted into his family. You know, in the book of Romans and Galatians, Paul talks a lot about us being adopted, us becoming heirs with Jesus Christ. We are part of the family of God, part of this royal kingly line. You who may think of yourself as somebody Who am I? In the natural, maybe so, but in God's eyes, you are part of God's royal family. Because of his great capacity to love, we can accept maybe he's our special treasure. But I know this concept of being so holy is something that many of us may find hard to accept. Some of us have done things we wish we had never done in the past. I don't know which one of us haven't. I certainly have done things in the past, but I'm so thankful for God's forgiveness. You may be right now struggling with things in your own life and wondering, you know, how could God possibly look at me and consider me holy? You see, we have to understand that our holiness is a positional truth. We have been ceremoniously made clean when we were born again. That is just a fact that Jesus did for us. So regardless of how we may think or feel about any of the statements in verse 9, I want you to understand this clearly as I go ahead in this message. This is a truth for every one of us who are born again. When you read verse 9, it starts, but you are. You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are special treasure of God. That's who you are, regardless of how you may feel It's the truth of what God's word tells us. Every one of us who are born again, that's who we are. And what is so astounding to me about that is that we neither neither did anything nor could we do anything to earn that status or privilege that has been provided for us by Jesus. Nothing we could have ever done to do it. Yet God in his infinite goodness and kindness and love for us chose us. I love what Paul says to the um, to Titus in his writings in chapter 3, verses 4 to 7. Titus writes this, But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, it's nothing that we could have done to deserve the righteousness that we have because of what Jesus has done. But according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It's all because of what Jesus has done for us. That's what makes the difference. And then in Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to read one more longish portion of Scripture, not nearly as long as that first one. But again, I, I just read this, and to get the context... Chapter 2 of Ephesians, verses 1 to 10. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. That's who you were. In which you once walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. 
among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature churn of wrath, just as others. He's saying, this is who you were. And remember in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, when I talked about the royal priesthood and holy nation, he starts off, but this is who you are. And Paul again here says, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in sins and trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you've been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That is so powerful. You see, that's who we are. It is, and if that is who we are, it is incumbent that our lives reflect these godly attributes. If you look at the scriptures in, in Peter, and both scriptures I read in, in Paul talk about that. God, this is who we are. We've been created this way. God has transformed us, and there's a purpose for it. We're to go out and do something about it. So I want to ask you, does your life, does what Jesus d- has done for you, is that somehow reflected in the way you live today? You know, I think particularly in light of the crisis that's going on in the world right now, are you showing who you are to the world? Do they recognize who you are? Last portion of scripture I'm going to read is again out of the book of Titus, the second chapter, verses 11 to 14. And it says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all, all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. That's who we are. You know, I've often heard when, people, when Paul writes there about the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. We know that God's grace has, has reached out to everyone, but we have to accept. There's none going to be with excuse in the world. Psalm 19, Romans 1 makes it very clear that everyone has had the opportunity to say yes to the grace of God. Unfortunately, not everyone does. But then there's some also that abuse the grace of God. And see it as an as a, as a opportunity. Oh, God's grace is going to cover this. God's grace is going to cover that. I can do wrong things. I can sin. I can go and do whatever. And God's grace is going to cover that. Yes, God's grace does. But he also expects that we would truly be sorry for what we did. And when we ask for his forgiveness, his grace is applied. But his grace is applied when we, as, we do, as we accept the fact that we need his forgiveness. If we are truly sorry... We should see it should be reflected not only in the way we live, but in the way we think and in the way we behave. Also, hear carefully what Paul writes in verse 12 of grace of, uh, of that chapter just read. God's grace 
teaches us something. It's interesting. People don't often talk about that. It says uh, it teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live righteously and soberly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope, our Lord Jesus Christ, the great God and Savior. And at this time, I tell you, I am sure looking for that blessed hope. And verse 14, he gave himself for us. Wow, think about that. That he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people. That's us, zealous for good works. When we understand who Jesus has made us to be, what he has done for us in our hearts, it should just automatically flow out of that, a zealousness to do what he wants us to do. A zealousness to, to, to be doing good works, to be doing things, reaching out to others, ministering to them. And then in verse 10 of 1 Peter chapter 2 that we read, Peter tells us, because of who we are, we can proclaim the praises of him who brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. You'll see that same theme coming through in what we read in Ephesians. It started out about who we were, but who God has made us to be. God has called each one of us, as the end of that verse 9 says, to be proclaimers of the great news that Jesus died for our sins of the whole world. You know, in Psalm 19 and Romans 1, it's very clear that there will be none with excuse. Every one of us have had the opportunity to respond. There will not be one standing before God in the day of judgment and saying, you didn't give me a fair chance. Everyone would have had that fair chance. But we have the opportunity, the joy to share the forgiveness that's available to everyone who would ask. The reason I believe the portion of scripture I concentrated on this morning in 1 Peter 2.9 is so important is because we need to understand Basically, who we are in Christ, not because of what we did, but because of what Jesus has done. Too many Christians are living with this sense of unworthiness, feeling somehow their lives do not match up. And therefore, they disqualify themselves from being used by God. They almost have a defeatist attitude. Oh, I failed again. You know, the psalmist says, the good man falls seven times, but he gets up every time and continues to do the, whatever it is that God has called him to do. We have to change our mindset to recognize. You know, it's like the devil to, to, uh, questioned Eve. You know, hath God said? Yes, God hath said. God hath said who you are, and that is who you must believe. Every one of us individually must believe we are whole, who God has called us to be. Because it's as we understand that, that we can truly allow our light to shine because we recognize our righteousness, our goodness is not about us. It's about what Jesus did with us when he clothed us with his righteousness because of his shed blood. If there's sin in your life that's holding you back from sharing his love, then you need to repent. You need to say, do as the, the Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, the writer of the Hebrews said, we must lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us. Looking unto Jesus, run with patience the race. Who is the one we must have? We must look unto Jesus. He is the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is forever sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. But we have to choose to set aside the sin in our lives. We have to decide that this is not who we are. This is not who God made us to be. 
And this is why Peter also says in 1 Peter 2, in that same chapter earlier, we must, like a newborn babe, we must desire the word of God. We must desire the milk of the word. We have to be people who have such a love for God that we want to know him more. And the more you know his word, the more you will know what it says about who you are. And the more it will affirm in your heart, this is why I am. I'm a child of God. I can do these things. I can do what God has wanted me to do because I am a child of God. This is what God's word says to me. You know, we're living in a time now where there's so many worried, fear, fearful, wondering what is happening. Sadly, many have lost their jobs in the last while and are suffering financial hardship and other hardships. To me as a Christian, this is a time when my life can make a difference and so can yours. We need to understand the prophetic times, what is going on right now, what is unfolding before us. And just like Peter, he said to, to, he wrote in one of his letters that we need to always be ready to give an answer to any man who asks us of the reason of the hope that lies within us. We do that as we spend time in the word, but as we do that, we can be more sure to share our faith. But the most important thing, you don't feel you have to know the, everything in the word of God to share your faith. I led so many people to, to Jesus and my wife even more. When we were baby Christians, we didn't know anything. But I think of, of uh, in, in John chapter 9, this blind man who Jesus healed, who was blind from birth. He said, once I was blind, but now I see. That's the story right there. It seems one development after another is just coming that all points to his soon return. And this gives us so much more opportunity to share. The signs of the time of God, of the rapture of the church is just under Jesus coming to take us his bride. It's just so clear before us. Jesus told us in Matthew 24, 36, no man knows the day or the hour. But in Luke 21 and Matthew 24, Jesus did, because they said, Lord, what's the sign of your coming? And what's the sign of the end of the age? And Jesus goes through Matthew 24 and Luke 21. You can read them and see what the signs are. But Jesus did say in Luke 21, 28, when you see these things begin to happen, lift up your head and look up because your redemption draws nigh. There are pestilences happening around the world now. I saw one the other day and I've seen it in a couple of different places where locusts by the millions and millions, they say by the billions, have, laid, have invaded the lands of Egypt and Iran and are just destroying them, wiping out all the crops. And, and the reporter says, it's just like it's in, it's in biblical proportions, like what happened many years ago. Then there have been earthquakes. I've heard of so many earthquakes. You don't even hear about them on the news because there's so much other stuff going on. They can't keep up with all the disasters that are happening all around the world. We are presently right now in a pandemic that the world has never experienced before in this magnitude, where almost every nation of the world has literally shut down for the last three months. People have been told to sequester in their homes. A significant number of businesses have been forced to close. We see churches, even churches and schools who can only operate online. Pastor Joel is missing so much the personal contact that he could have with so many of you, but he's been forced that he can't do it. Shopping is only allowed for absolute essentials, and there are so many measures imposed by the governments have resulted in layoffs with unemployment at, at, at literally depression levels. 
Now we're hearing of vaccines being developed. Some have already been developed and many are being developed where they place a mark in the skin of the person so they can track them. Isn't that something? Bill Gates has been doing that in Africa for years, tracking people. They're dying like crazy, but he's doing this and he's tracking people. These vaccines are being pushed by very wealthy and powerful people in this world who are in it to make literally hundreds of billions of dollars. And they are trying to convince the world, we are doing this to keep you safe. We're doing this for the world's sake. Yet there's an underlying ploy, and I listen to me carefully, not only for them to make a substantial amount of money, but also to be able to control every person in the world. That sure sounds to me like the mark of the beast, or certainly a precursor to it at the very least. But, you know, I don't, I don't share these things with you to bring concern to you, but to encourage you to be watching and waiting for the rapture of the church. And to, during this time, see the opportunities for us to be proclaimers of the good news. Jesus' return could be soon. And I promise you that he is still running the universe. So even though these may sound terrible, all this happening, we need not fear. I love when I think of world problems going on and, and concerns, I always go to Psalm 2 and read it one more time. Psalm 2 is just one of these wonderful Psalms where, you know, they talk about all the kings and everybody coming against you, coming against Christ and, and his church and all that. And verse 4 says, the Lord sits in the heavens and he will laugh at them. He will have them in derision. Literally what that means, he'll mock them and ridicule them who deceive and are trying to deceive you and me. We have the gospel, the good news, a message of hope to many who are lost, to many who are feeling so helpless. I was listening to a report that says suicide call lines, volumes are up 1,000%. And this thing's just started. The impact of where we're at now are going to be felt for months and months into the future. I think of, of you know, uh, alcohol. They say the alcohol consumption is up 40%. You hear of, of, of homes, the violence that is happening in the homes, both to, to, to spouses and to children. People are so desperate. They're, they're, they're so angry. They're, they feel so helpless. They don't have money, and yet they're spending on these things. It's just unbelievable what is going on. And, and yet, in the midst of all that, you know, Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. This is a time where we have such opportunity. When we understand who we are, we have this confidence of who we are. We have an opportunity like we've never had before to let our light shine in these troubling times, both by what we do and by what we're able to proclaim the praises of him. So I believe more than ever before, we are in a season where we must believe who Jesus says we are. You must believe who he says. You are this special people that can bring hope to the world. So you need to have this confidence that you, I am who God says I am. Therefore, I can go and do what God has called me to do. I pray this morning as I close that the Holy Spirit will speak to every heart here. And make it so plain to us again this morning of who you are. You are a chosen generation. 
You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a special people who can demonstrate God's love at a time in history that we've never experienced before and bring hope to people. I pray this morning that this message, but with the help of the Holy Spirit, has stirred in your heart a new sense of who you are in God, a new sense of purpose that God has for your life. And this morning, you will say to yourself and say, Lord, I choose to believe who you say I am. And I, as a, as a result of that, I am going to start doing who I, the new me, can do. And I'm going to be a proclaimer of your good news. I'm going to show good works to people. And I'm going to allow my light to shine that others can be glorified, that you can be glorified through the lives of others. God bless you. Pray you have a wonderful day and that you've been encouraged.